Hey, Whitley, how's it going? Hey, Christy, going well. So have you uh, done anything exciting this week? Um, in Canada, we have long weekends. So I've just been filling it with reading and baking. Um, so I'm going to do a gooey lemon butter cake tonight. And that's my weekend. That sounds delicious. Sounds amazing. So what, what do we have on the, on the docket for today? We're thinking of talking about image recognition, aren't we? Yes. So there's actually been, I think, quite a few papers that have come out like over the last, um, last few months or kind of at the end of last year on different pill recognition models image recognition. And so I think that this is an interesting topic too, because, and tell me, wait, you know, wait, you've heard Christy, but this is not, you know, like when it comes to image recognition, we don't really hear a lot about pill recognition models or software. It's generally in the context. I mean, there are articles out there about image recognition in the world of medicine, but they tend to be more so, you know, ophthalmology, or other related fields, I think, that we see more of. Yeah, like a lot of focus on, you know, radiology and looking at yes, yes. But, you know, you know, when we think about other use cases for AI, a lot of them, like even just from a logistic, logistic standpoint, just being able to recognize pills reliably yeah. could be, yeah. you know, there's just numerous use cases for that, whether it's um, with, within a pharmacy or even, you know, patients recognizing, you know, having tools to help with patient safety and, rec- you know, or even like confirming, you know, to take a picture of a pill box and confirming that it's filled correctly, for instance. Yeah, definitely. And I think like just thinking about some of the patients that have come through, you know, more of the retail pharmacy settings when I worked, many of them often remember the pills that they are taking by, you know, the color or the shape, like even my grandpa, like sometimes I'll run through his list with him and he'll be like, yeah, oh yeah, the morning one, the pink one, you know, they generally don't actually remember the name of the generic or the brand even. Yeah. And and then that's hard when the generic, you know, if you get a different manufacturer and suddenly the way it looks changes. Exactly. And with like chronic medications, there's often 10 or more generic companies or versions of those pills, right? So I think I was reading in one of these articles that we're going to be talking about that with the FDA repository, there's over 10,000 different pills. Yeah. And so I guess it like to set the stage with, with this, like how, I think it's helpful to understand like how difficult a task this really is. And, you know, we think like we've come really far with image recognition and we have like with our deep learning models, we've, we have come pretty far. Um, there's a few like open source pill image data sets available, but like the very first challenge that came out, what, you know, the national library of medicine had a pill image recognition challenge. So it was hosted by the NIH in 2016 and the, of the winners, the mean precision was 0.27, 0.09, So, and and then when you look at like the top five accuracy, so when we say top five accuracy, it means was the correct answer in your top five guesses for the model? Yeah. It was 43%, 12%, and 11%. 
across 5,000 images. So th these are the winners of this national competition. And they're, yeah. you know, and the accuracy is like you have not even, so not guessing the correct one, but like guessing the correct one, at least in your top five guesses, only 40 yeah. accurate. That's and even, the, yeah, exactly. Even then that is low. So we know that there are certainly a lot of challenges underlying, you know, this sort of process. And, and the thing is, is like, when you think about, um, it, you know, some of the, some of the uses for these may be, you know, the end user, it may be directed towards a clinician, but like a lot of, you know, a lot of people are envisioning, or it's the idea of having like consumer tools, right? So stuff that, a, you know, a consumer could take a picture of themselves and be able yes, to know exactly what image it is or what pill it is. And there's not really, it, you know, and if you, if you have an image recognition software that is telling you like, that's labeling an animal or something in a, in a picture, you as a user can know when that's wrong. It's a bit, you know, it's, it's kind of easy to see, I think when that's inaccurate, but with something like things with, you know, a medical image or pill recognition, you, there's, you don't have the immediate ability to double check a model yeah. in that instance. Yeah, and so like that competition you were talking about, I read about it in an article um, that we'll add to the show notes, but I think what this event revealed was that even with really high quality photographs that they called the reference images, for example, like you said, accuracy was low and they attribute this to the fact that there are so many variables in a photo that make it challenging to truly recognize what it is. So lighting, shading, for example, or background color, even the direction in which you're shooting the image can affect all of those, like the hue, right? Um, and the authors of this paper, I think they did their own research and had similar findings. And all in all, the conclusion is that pill recognition remains a very challenging task. Yeah. And I think there was, um, you know, in some of the alternatives to having a, you know, an image, you know, recognition system is that, you know, you can obviously, there's a lot of databases now where you can type in your pill mm -hmm. description and it will tell yeah. you what it is. Um, but I think there was an interesting example, Christy, that you were looking at where it was a former pharmacy student turned like health tech entrepreneur yeah. that, that developed yeah. an app, but what, what did he find? Even, even when he had an app, they were, people could type in their, their pill description and get a response. Yeah. So this was an article on Medium. And I think um, it's actually, for, well, first of all, side note, I think it's really interesting that this pharmacy student um, went on to pursue a different area, but really still leveraged the knowledge that he got from pharmacy school to pair with his you know, newly learned coding skills. Um, I think I think it was named PillSync. And it was a really neat human machine collaboration where the author or the student described that ultimately with these technologies, I think the machine could help him reduce the time it takes for him to sift through what would normally be tens or hundreds of pills and dwindle it down to the top three to five. Then with the added human effort, be able to more accurately identify what the pill really is. I think in this article, he also cited similar challenges to what we've talked about in the past, like shape, color, time of day that this image is taken. Um, and that affects, of course, the lighting, um, but also the imprint. 
if we think about some, some of the imprints on the pills, the imprints are so subtle. And I've never thought about this much because to the human eye, I think we can perhaps see it quite clearly, but sometimes in images, that imprint or the representation of that imprint could really be skewed. Um, so again, just presents another challenge, but I think it's really neat what he's doing um, with PillSync. Yeah, and one, one thing I thought was, was fascinating with, with that article too was, you know, he looked at the, the, the NIH data set. Yes, yes, from that competition, and, right? And he, yeah, and he found that it would, that those, just the type, the way the pictures were shot, just the way that the photos were captured was very different from the images that he was seeing. So, so he built this interface to, so people could put, easily type in, or it would be a faster way to put in pill description and get a response. But what he found was that people still didn't do that. They would just send him photos. So people were submitting every day, people were submitting him all, all these photos for him to, to basically ID for them. And, yeah. and, and I, you what know, an interesting I, job. <laughs> I know. Um, and so he basically developed, so he started compiling his own database of, you know, just real world images of all these different pills. And he, and he found that, that just the type of pictures was just very quite vastly from the actual NIH website photos, even though that those photos, many of them were actually meant to be in real world or consumer settings, that it, it was, it was very different than what the pictures he was actually seeing in real world. Yeah. Christy, you mentioned some of those, those factors. So what other, so I guess to give perspective, like what other factors impact accuracy when we think of machine learning algorithms? for for pill recognition. So Christy, you, you mentioned a few of the variables that that impact you know accuracy you know, based on the color, the shape of the pill, the direction it's, you know, the orientation of the image. And so some authors also looked at, so there was one paper that came out from, University of Seoul in Korea that looked at 34,000 images and the features they looked at were, you know, varied over seven different colors, seven different shapes, and then seven different like pill types. And, and then the other variations they looked at was whether like the camera flash was on or off or the background color was white or black. And then the exposure values of the actual mm -hmm camera itself. And they found that with their real world image set, and, and this was a paper that, you know, came out fairly, like fairly recently, their top one accuracy was 51%. And so it's, this wow. is, you know, thinking about how far we've come from 2016 now coming, you yeah. know, to, you know, 2021, we, you know, we're going from like, 43% to, you know, 51% top mm -hmm. one accuracy. It's yeah. not as far, I think, as we would have expected, you know, their top five accuracy did um, range from like 62 to 78%, but they did notice that like, okay, if it's a, you know, just a small minute changes made a huge difference. So if, for instance, if the background was white, then then it was more accurate if the flash was on. And if the darker background, then it was marked, you know, if the flash was off. And yeah. 
that, you know, and you can't really always control for those kind of things in real world settings. But I think the other, the other thing that's really interesting though, is we, for other use cases though, that are much more controlled, we are actually seeing some very robust models. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about consumer applications, but what about pharmacy applications? Like what, I mean, what about being able to use image recognition software to automate verification in pharmacies Mm -hmm. for filling pills? And I think this is a, this is a different problem set. You know, this is a different use case. And there, there was a paper that came out in, in nature last year, 2021, that looked at image classification for confirming whether the right medication was in a prescription pill bottle in the setting of pharmacy dispensing. And they, and, and this was, you know, this was an interesting paper because they had, they had a huge data set. So their training data set was over 430,000 images. And because it was data that was gathered in real life practice at a mail order pharmacy where they do remote verification. And so they have top-down photos that look into, that look at like the pill bottle that's full of Mm -hmm. pills. And so this is a different problem because you're now looking at like a stack of pills that are inside a bottle versus like trying to pull out a single pill in an image. And you also have like a limited amount of answer options in this, right? Because if you're in a mail order pharmacy, you know, there's only going to be so many images or so many types of pills that you're going to be filling in the setting versus like mm-hmm. if you have in like the pill sync app, he was getting submissions of pictures of all kinds of pills, even, you know, like pills that were from other countries, things that were counterfeit, yeah. fake, like you, you get so many things, but in this instance, like in a pharmacy setting, they actually found that their precision recall curve was almost essentially one, like their wow. accuracy was extremely high yeah in this and so we I think that in this instance like we can develop these narrow use cases for image recognition that can perform highly well but we're thinking about those those kind of problems that, that we'd be solving yeah definitely and I know we like to talk about going back to the problem a lot when it comes to AI overall. So that's a really great example for that. I think other pharmacy related cases or you know, verification examples that I've seen is like on the manufacturing side as well, just to verify that, you know, it's not counterfeit. Yeah. And you know, when we talk about, you know, looking at, you know, potential biases in models and, you know, and wanting to to confirm that models perform accurately across all different like cohorts and subpopulations. I thought it was interesting, you know, there was, because the authors of this paper, this was called, you know, performance evaluation of prescription medication image classification model. They wanted to look at like when the model is wrong why is it most likely wrong? Like, what are the factors that cause it to be wrong? And so there was, yeah. you know, there was certain very predictable, you know, in some instances it was just due to the fact they didn't have enough pictures or images. And so that was very consistent. Like if they only had one or two images, 
for a certain, you know, a certain drug, then the model consistently got that drug wrong. And so, you know, that's, I think, easy to solve. That makes sense. Yeah. Have enough, you know, images. But the other thing was there is certain manufacturers will use, they will have everything identical to a drug except for like the, the imprint. And so like for certain things that have different strengths, like paroxetine, for example, um, which is an antidepressant, it has the same color, the same shape, the same manufacturer, and the imprint is similar with at least one letter overlapping. And so it's two different strings. So paroxetine, like 30 milligrams is round blue, M on one side and N3 on the other. And then paroxetine 40 milligrams is also round blue, M on one side, but N4 on the other. And you know, if we know, for instance, that there is lower accuracy with these types of images, then, you know, is there any ethical consideration that we need, you know, like people that are filling these kind of medications, that there is a chance that, you know, if we start relying on these systems to work, to perform autonomously, is there, you know, what are the ethical considerations that we have to make sure that we're that everyone, regardless of what medication they're getting, is going to have a model that performs with similar accuracy to make sure they get this. So that to so otherwise we could have, you know, depending on what medication you get, depends on, you know, what the chances are that you may have a disproportionately higher chance of having a medication error compared to someone else. Yeah. And that opens up a whole other can of worms. Yeah. So tell us more about some of the other uh, considerations that we have with image recognition software. Like where else can things potentially go wrong? So we wanted to take a little bit of a turn in this podcast and start talking about adversarial attacks. And what we mean when we say that these processes like image recognition, um, but also other techniques within AI are are susceptible to adversarial attacks is that for example, with images, um, we can create images from raw data to essentially fool the algorithm into thinking it's something that's real, um, real life. There is this paper by Han et al. that described it really well. And they say adversarial examples are designed to cause machine learning algorithms to make a mistake. And how this works is they add a small disturbance to the input of that algorithm that changes then the prediction while still ensuring that it looks like a real input. And these kinds of adversarial examples have been successfully created in the field of medical imaging classification. Um, And I'm sure that this can apply in the context of pill recognition as well. And we can even talk about adversarial attacks in the context of NLP in one of our future episodes. So we can link some resources um, about adversarial attacks to the show notes. There was this really great Stanford lecture um, and this really great Medium article, Um, but maybe Whitley, what do you think about adversarial attacks in the context of what we've been talking about and why are they so hard to defend against? So I guess to talk first, like, you know, when we think of, so adversarial attacks are really tough to defend against because you are basically, you're making small changes that cause a model to be inaccurate, but they're changes humans cannot see. 
So like if yeah. you see a picture, it, it could be, you know, at, as we talked about before with any of these models, you don't, you don't always really know what the model is learning. Like how, how is it making its decisions? And it's not always going to predict, it's not always going to use the same things that we as humans would use when we're looking at a picture to determine what it is. And so yeah. these basically the, when you're trying to create an adversarial, um, when you're doing an adversarial attack and you're trying to basically get a model to predict wrong, you take your image and you just make small, tiny changes, modifications to it at sort of like the pixel level, you add certain kind of noise and you do just enough until, you know, you keep running it through the model and, and you do just enough until it, now it guesses it, it's wrong. But usually the exactly. image itself still looks the same to a human. And that's yeah. why it's really challenging. But, and there's also ways that you can actually use this, um, this ad, these adversarial techniques to also actually tra train models. Train, as yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so there's, there's a lot of, you know, we haven't, as far as I know, you know, know, like there's not a ton of examples, at least in the medical world yet, where people have really intentionally tried to use adversarial attacks to, to trick, to trick models. A lot of times, because there is more control and, you know, like when you're thinking of radiology applications, there's more control in what images you're sending it. But, you know, if you open this up to consumer applications, for instance, and you're trying to, you know, if you're trying to like, if you want to fool a model to, to thinking that it, you have a different medication than you do, like, are there ways or, you know, somebody could develop a program that could modify your image so that it would get a different response from a model. Yeah. And I think um, this other medium article that I, I read about adversarial attacks, they were saying that you know, the attacking side always has the upper edge. Like, sure, when we find out about a certain change that's led to um, a different image that's not perceivable to the human eye, we can, you know, maybe look at how to correct for that through the training process. But it's always going to be after the fact that we correct for that um, adversarial attack. So it, it makes it really challenging, I think, to prophylactically <laughs> defend against all potential adversarial attacks. Maybe that's not the right word, but. Yeah, I mean, you you almost have to, it's it, it's a constant battle on both sides, like constantly trying to figure yeah. out these techniques that, that people are using to, you know, gain these systems and then trying to build a better model that isn't susceptible to those techniques. Yeah, but can we really, you know, prevent all forms of adversarial attack. I think that remains to be seen. Yeah. I mean, it, well, because I think, you know, as we develop, like as models become more robust and I think the different kinds of attacks will just also become more robust. So I think it's, it's sort of a never ending yeah. process cycle. And I, I think, you know, the world of counterfeit medications is, you know, it, I think that is a potential area where that this could be, you know, yeah. we, that there, there is a use case for, I think, adversarial attacks with image recognition that we should be mindful of. Yeah, that, that exactly. That we should be mindful of. And I just, you know, we just haven't seen a lot of, a lot of efforts, a lot of efforts in this area in terms of image recognition when it comes to pill images yeah. and medications. Certainly. And there are like real world efforts in other areas too, like 
with self-driving cars, recognizing stop signs, for example. But certainly if we wanna bring everyone's attention back to the medical world, there's a lot that we still need to be wary of when it comes to the pharmacy settings, particularly with pill recognition, but also other forms of medical images that um, we see come up in patient care, right? Mm -hmm. And because also this is a particularly challenging use case because the amount of pills is, you know, the amount of, I think- um, It's growing. (laughs) Yeah, it's just constantly growing. So this, so e-pill ID, the paper they came out and they had, they identified 9,804 appearance classes for medication. So basically there was over, you know, almost 10,000 unique just appearance types. And, yeah. and, and that, that's not a static number, you know, like any of these models that, that are, that we're developing and, you know, you're testing with a, you know, you have your, your static training set and then your validation and then your test set, like that's a static environment that's not changing. And if, if we think about moving anything into real world, you're the tight, you know, the pills that are coming out is constant. There's always new medications coming out. The appearance has changed. New generics are being developed. Like it's a constantly dynamic environment that we also wow. need models robust enough to be able to know, like, this is something that's not in my data set. Like I, this is something that's, that's not safe to make a recommendation on. I shouldn't guess, or I shouldn't provide an inference for what this medication is because it's new and it's, it's different enough from what's in my, what I've already seen. Mm-hmm. That's a big challenge, I think. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge challenge. So Maybe we've inspired some people to go, go out there and, and tackle Take this stuff. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, that's all for me. I think we covered a lot of really great recent articles. You're right. A lot of the literature or the writing that I picked up on as it relates to image recognition in medicine and pharmacy were, you know, 2020 and 2021. So maybe there are more people that are engaged um, in looking at this now. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully we'll see some more, uh, articles coming out this year or research. Exactly. Thank you so much, everyone for listening again. Um, as always, please do check out AI collective. We have a great list of resources and a roadmap that covers fundamental concepts in AI for getting started. And please do feel free to reach out to us on LinkedIn or at our emails, christy at aicollective.co and Whitley at aicollective.co.